Good morning, you guys. A little bit of information, a little bit of comic relief there. Hope you're feeling strong and good. Yeah, my name is Grant, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's true, we believe in the internet here at this church, and use that to transfer some money. I think Callum was just saying that for the people who maybe are a little bit older or kind of been sleeping under a rock, don't use the internet too much. But it's great to see you, great to have you here today. I'm sorry, there was like a little bit of murmuring over there. Was that from my mother-in-law? Kathy, look out, hey, look out. <laughs> but I hope that you guys are having a good start to the day. Um, Michelle and I have been away for the last two weeks, so it is good just to be back and to see everyone and to, I guess, be with you again. Uh, we were on holiday the first week, and last week we were at West Point Church up in Kloof, and it was really cool being in a different school hall with a different church plant and kind of preaching there and just seeing what God's doing there. Brian and Caitlin, who lead that church, are some good friends of ours, and it's just exciting seeing um, they're almost a year into the story. We're four years in. It's nice, like, kind of looking back in time and just seeing or reminiscing on where we've come from and kind of the story of what God's been doing here. But we really missed you guys. And Shell said, getting into the car today, I've missed our church. We really have the best church in the world. And that's not like a little plug. I think really we feel that way. I said to someone this week, you know, if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I would still want to be part of this church. So I think this is an amazing bunch of people. And on Thursday night, our guest who's coming to dinner group was um, such an interesting mix of people. You know, you kind of think, how is this group going to work together? Together, like is everyone going to connect well? And then everyone left at eleven. It was like a really good time. Barbara had us in stitches, telling us stories for a long, long time. Good stories, good fun, good laughs, and good food. So I hope you are there. Otherwise, you can join us for the next one. But today we're carrying on our transformed series. And I heard Shane and Kim smash the last two weeks with their messages. And I really think this has been a significant series of us being discipled in our inner world, in our emotions and in our spirituality. And I'm excited about what I've got to share on today because it's been an area that I have been weak on in the past and that I'm growing in. I'm by no means a master here, but I know that I've got a story of growing in this area, which hopefully will be helpful to you guys today. And I'll start it this way. About two years ago, Shell and I were given this book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, which was written by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And we found it really helpful for us in growing in some areas of discipleship where we were a little bit weak and where we needed some help. So our eldership team has gone through this. We've kind of worked through some of the stuff. And it's really inspired a lot of the series we're going through now. And I was loving this book. It was so great. Got to this emotionally healthy assessment that they had inside. Some of you have done it in your life groups. Otherwise, I've popped it online. It'll come online at two this afternoon if you want to check it out and do it. But doing this assessment was amazing. I started it off and I was absolutely crushing this thing. Starts off on like some common discipleship things that if you've been in the church for a while, you will know well. So things like knowing my identity in Jesus, I got four out of five. Regular times of prayer, Bible study, and hearing from God, I gave myself a five out of five. And knowing the gospel and feeling confident to share my faith, I preach often five out of five crushing this next section. And I went through this and I was what this test said was an emotional adult. I was doing so well in all of these things, kind of ranked these different uh, categories, adults, you know, adolescent, child or infant. And I was going through this doing really great until I got to the section on boundaries and limits. All of a sudden it was ones and twos or zeros as I started to go through questions like, I have never been accused of doing too much and trying to do it all. One out of five. I am good at saying no to people, opportunities, and requests that would never overextend myself rather than say no. One out of five. And I have a good sense of my capacities, and I'm good at pulling back to fill up my tank again. One out of five. I think kind of going through some of these questions and looking at some of, um, 
I guess what is inside of me and what this test was helping me to see inside of myself, I was confronted by this reality that I had some areas that I needed to grow in, that I had some bad motivations for doing something, some insecurities inside of myself, some sinful parts of my heart that needed change and really needed the redemption of God. And I did that test two years ago for the first time. I did it again probably a month or two ago, and I went from 10 out of 24 in that section to about 17. So the first time I failed that section, you know, I got less than 50. This time I'm like scraping a bee. So I've grown, but I'm in no ways a master in this. But hopefully what I share today will, able, will be able to help some of you that feel you are in the same camp as me. You're feeling a little bit overextended, a little bit too busy, like you've got a bit too much going on, and you're not really great at managing yourself. But let's go a little bit back in time. I don't know if you guys remember the year 1993. We had two people, and I guess who's coming to dinner a group the other night who were born in 1997. They were 20-year-olds. I couldn't believe that. Like, they just felt like they were my age. I mean, I'm just a little bit older than them at <coughs> 31. But, uh, I mean, it was really crazy to me. I was born in 1986, thinking these guys 11 years older or younger than me. But in 1993, a song came out which changed the world as we know it. It's by a little-known band named Two Unlimited, and the song is called No Limit. Does anyone remember it? The lyrics go like this. No, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, no, there's no limits. And then there's a really great um, verse that comes afterwards. No, no limits. We'll reach for the sky. No valley too deep and no mountain too high. No, no limits. Won't give up the fight. We do what we want and we do it with pride. And it's this amazing kind of song. Damien loves it. He was in the club back in the day dancing to that. But this song is the kind of thing that is going to get you pumped up for life. This is the kind of song that if you're in the gym, like I don't go to, and you're like just crushing reps, or you're doing like a spinning class, I imagine this is the kind of song you want playing to get you pumped. You know, you're feeling tired, you're feeling a little bit drained, and then this song comes on. Too unlimited, no limits. And you hear this song and you think, I can do it. You've got your hands raised as you're kind of crushing that spinning bike. I can do more, I can do more reps, I can do whatever people do in the gym. And you keep going. And it's a great anthem for working out and pushing your boundaries in the gym. It's a terrible anthem for life. Because the reality is, is every single one of us do have limits. And we have different abilities and capacities and skills and strengths and weaknesses in this room. So some of you might be like uber gifted and uber talented and have uber capacity. Some of us have a lot less than you, you know. And that song is not true because the reality is, is there are some mountains that we can get over, some we can't. Some valleys that are low, but not too low. Some that are just too low. And the reality is, is no matter how hard you try, no matter how much work you put in, no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to achieve and accomplish some things and do certain things. We've just got to be realistic about that. We need to be real about who we are and where we're strong and where we're weak. And we need to, need to live in light of those. I think some of you are maybe sitting there saying, sheesh, Grant, that's such a heavy thing. You're saying, I can't do some things on a Sunday morning. You meant to inspire us. But I think this is actually a freeing message. It's freeing to know that there's some things I can do and some things I can't, and I need to work out what those are. And I think this is a really big thing for us in the world we live in today. You know, Some of us are not realistic about where we are, and we're doing too much. We're overextending ourselves. We're not living within the God-given limits that we've got. So we're tired. We're anxious. We're stressed out. We're constantly saying to people, sure, I'm so busy. Sure, I've got so much going on. You know, I'm overextended. I don't know if you feel that at all. Like I've definitely had those moments standing in a queue at a grocery store where you want to punch the person who's standing in front of you in the back of the head because it's going so slowly. You feel so impatient because you've got so much going on and you're so important and you've got to keep going because otherwise the world can't run. 
And it's ridiculous, you know, but we get so busy and so worked up and we get so impatient about some of the things that are going on in our life. And we stop having time to spend with God because how am I going to find time to be with him? I've got all of this other stuff to do. And we end up sacrificing family time and kids time and some of the important things of life because we're trying to achieve and accomplish more and get more stuff done. And sometimes we do need to have a moment where we take a break and we think through what is our priorities in this life, and we get back to that. I think one of the things that's really helped me over the last while is thinking about this truth, that Jesus didn't do everything. Jesus didn't do everything. And think about that for a second. The infinite God of the entire universe came down to earth in human flesh, like you and I, and he didn't do everything. Jesus lived within the limitations of his humanity. He did some of the things that he was called, he did the things he was called to, but he didn't do anything extra. And in John 17 verse 4, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified, he prays this prayer to his Father in heaven. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished or finished the work that you gave me to do. It's quite a big thing, eh? I glorified you on earth, having accomplished or finished the work that you gave me to do. And I want you to think about this for a second. When Jesus left this earth, The earth wasn't perfect. There was still sin in the world, brokenness. There was still poverty, injustice, evil, immorality. There was all of this stuff still going on in the world. The world was not perfect at all. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going to come back one day and make everything the way it's supposed to be. One day everything will be that way. I'll make all things new, but not now. Now is not the time. So when Jesus left this earth, he didn't leave everyone happy, and he didn't meet everyone's expectations. I don't know if that's an issue for you. Jesus didn't heal every leper. He didn't cast out every demon. There were a lot of invitations that he did not accept or things that he didn't do that he was asked to do. Often, and I think this intrigues me, Jesus would leave crowds. You know, he would go into a new town or village or city and he would preach there and people would come from all over the region to hear him preach or for Jesus to touch them, heal them, bless them, whatever it is. And they would rush to him. And you know what? At the height of his fame, as this crowd is swelling around him, wanting more, you know, chanting, more, Jesus, more, Jesus would say to his disciples, I think it's time we go. We should go to the next town or village or city. Or, you know what? Maybe we should go and be alone for a while. Take a rest, pray, spend time with our Father in heaven. And I think this completely bamboozled the disciples every time, you know. They thought, why, Jesus? We've got this crowd desperate for more of you. This is a cool place to live. Let's plant a church here. Instantly, it would be this amazing mega church, and we could go on. And Jesus says, no, no, no. God wants us to move on. And they would leave. Think about when Jesus died, the number of people who didn't know him, who weren't following him, who'd never heard the gospel. Jesus hadn't preached in every country or every city or every continent. And really, the community he left behind in Jerusalem was 120 people. But still, Jesus was able to say, you know what? I finished the work that the Father gave me to do. I finished all of the work that he gave me to do. And in John 19, verse 30, on the cross, Jesus died for the sins of the world. This massive moment, the last thing on his to-do list that he had to check off. And Jesus dies on the cross in our place. And this man who had been perfect and pure and spotless his entire life, completely righteous in every way, all of a sudden has all of the sin and evil and wickedness and unrighteousness poured out on him. Where before he had been perfect before God, now he was the dirtiest, most sinful place on the planet. This man who had always known perfect relationship or fellowship with the Father, all of a sudden, because he was covered in the sin, was separated from God for the first time. What a massive moment. And in that moment, as he takes his last breath and as he dies, he says, it is finished. 
not, I've still got a little bit left to do, but I did most of it. But Father, it is finished. Mission accomplished. I can come home to you. I've done the most important thing now, which was to die on the cross, that people could be reconciled to you when I was separated, and that the sins of those people, of all of us, could be put on him so that we could be righteous in God's sight. Jesus says, it is finished. It's an amazing thing to think that in Jesus, God took on human limitations, that he didn't do everything that he could do, even setting us the example of the perfect person or of perfect humanity. And if that's true, God in the flesh looks like a limited person. How much more should we not try and do everything? I know some of you in this room are feeling that's true for me. This is the word of the Lord today, you know. I've been trying to do it all. And God has limits over all of creation. I think one of the things that I hate is the thought of sleeping eight hours a night, you know. Like that's one third of a day. You've got 24 hours a day. I'm going to spend eight hours in bed just lying down on a pillow, eyes closed, Z's coming out of your mouth, like, that's all you're doing, you know? I want to be productive. I want to get stuff done. If you think of a lifetime of 75 years, that means you spend 25 years lying down in a bed doing nothing. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. And some of you in this room are trying to kind of overcome the obstacle of sleep through caffeine or energy drinks or whatever it is. You're like, I will manage. But eventually you're going to get to a point where your body breaks because you do need sleep no matter how powerful caffeine might be because God has limited the human body as a gift to us. It's all sorts of limits in our creation. Think of the days, 24 hours in each day, 365 days in each year, 12 months in a year, four seasons, all limits. You know, you've got 24 hours to do stuff today. After that, it's the next day. That limit has been crossed. We're into Monday. We can't do everything that we want to do. And I think maybe the thing that's most striking here is that God commands us to Sabbath. God says, listen, six days work, work your butt off, work hard. But on the seventh day, I want you to be unproductive, to rest from your work. It's a day to pray and to play. It's a day to be with me and do the things that refresh you. And the thing that's kind of struck me about that is that actually probably some of us want to keep working. Probably a lot of us in this room are working seven days a week. And God says, no, no, no. What I want you to do is to take that day off. In fact, I've blessed that day and made it holy because you are not machines. You are people. You are not God. You are made in my image, but you need a break. And God blesses that time because he wants us to chill. How are you doing at that? This is a gift from God to us. But since the beginning of time, man has been really, really good at breaking our limits and not listening to God's wisdom and advice, even though he knows what's best for us. In the Garden of Eden, right at the beginning of the story of God, Adam and Eve, the first two humans, have got everything. You know, they're completely free. They can explore the planet. They can eat anything they want, do anything they want. There's just one limit. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing. You can do anything else you want. Just don't eat from this tree. And God is a good father who gives him this limit with his reasons. And Satan, the serpent, the deceiver, comes along and he says to them, don't believe God. No, eat from the tree. God's told you you will die if you eat from the tree, but that's not true. You're not going to die. You're going to become like God. And remember a few weeks ago, I said behind every sin is a lie. Behind every sin is unbelief and a lie about who God is. That's what's going on here. Satan's tempting them. He's saying, God's not telling you the truth. God is a liar. God is holding something back from you. And so often we believe that. 
with God's commands and God's way, we think, actually, God is actually holding back good things from us. Actually, I'm going to cross this boundary, and then we get hurt. And they do it. They cross the boundary. They listen to Satan. They break their limits, and they sin. And it affects them, and it affects us. And we're still doing it to this day. We're trying to be like God. We're trying to do too much, and it just doesn't work. I don't know if you've thought of what God is like before, but he's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. God is with us now. And I think for so many of us, we're trying to be those three things too, you know? We're trying to do absolutely everything and be everywhere, accept every invitation that we get, go to all of the things that we want to go to. We want to try and know everything. So we're reading the news and we're reading blogs and we're reading books and we're watching things on TV and doing all of this stuff because we want to be everywhere, do everything, and be able to do it all. God says, you're not me. You've got limits. You're a man, woman, made in my image. You can't do it all. We are not God. And we need to slow down and be realistic about our limitations and live in light of that. I think John the Baptizer is this incredible example of what it looks like to live within our limits and to understand how God has created us. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1 and verse 19. Otherwise, it'll come up on the screen behind me. But in this passage, we see something really interesting about, I guess, this man's example of living within his limits. Verse 19 says, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And reading this passage, we see that John has got a good grip on his identity, on his calling and on his limits. So let's start with his identity. These people arrive and say to John, who are you? Who are you, man? What's going on? And John is like kind of a big deal. You know, actually Jesus says of him that he's the greatest man to ever live before him. That's quite a big deal. If Jesus says that about you, then, you know, mad respect. But Jesus has got crowds all around him, following him out into the desert to hear him preach, to hear what he's got to say, to be baptized by him. He's got a massive following and kind of word about him is getting out all around Judea and Jerusalem and all around Israel. So people are flocking to him. And some of the Jewish leaders are wondering, who is this man, John? Who is he? So they send down the search party to come and speak to John and listen to John and find out a little bit more about this man. And they ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Some of these Old Testament prophesied about figures. Are you him? And John says, no, I'm not any of them. I'm John. I'm John. But you can imagine that moment, how flattering it would have been, you know? I don't know how you and I would have handled that kind of thing. You think I could be the Christ? You think I could be the prophet or this Elijah who was to come and make way for the Lord? You think a little bit, well, I do have these big crowds around me, you know? Everyone wants to hear me preach. Everyone wants to be baptized by me. Maybe actually, I wonder, how do you know if you're the Messiah? Like, how do you, are you born just knowing? 
maybe, maybe I am. You know, maybe I am the Messiah. And I wonder what went through John's mind or what would go through our minds if we were being flattered by certain people. I wonder if we would start doing something different, something extra, something more to try and impress people and put on this Christ-like air about us. John doesn't do that, though. John says, I'm not any of those things. I'm just John. And I think a big thing here is that John wasn't living for approval from people. He was living for approval from God. There's this devastating verse in John 5 verse 44 where Jesus is speaking and he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I think that's like got a big part to do with our limits and us living within the boundaries that God has given us. Are we living for approval from one another or approval from God? And we live in this culture which is really obsessed with identity, you know. Probably so many of us are trying to construct a certain identity and present a certain image and have people think of us in a certain way. And because of that, we will compromise some of the things we're meant to do so that people will think of us in that way. And into this place, Jesus says, are you seeking glory from God or from man or from one another? Does what God thinks about you shape the decisions you make the most? Or does what your boss, your partner your friend, your family, actually the people who you want to think you're amazing, do they shape the decisions you make and the things that you do? God or people? And if you and I are overextended, we've been doing too much, probably the reality is we're living beyond our limits because we want people to think of us in a certain way. But for Christians, we're not called to live for our identity. We're called to live from our identity. Some of us here in this place are doing stuff to earn approval, to earn validation, to earn the thing that we're getting after. But in Christ, we've already received that. You know, God loves us. God approves of us. God likes us in Christ. And that is the most incredible news. So we don't live for his love and affirmation. We live from it. We live from a place of knowing what he thinks about us to do the things that he has called us to do. I think it's a pretty amazing thing to think that the king of the universe approves of you and validates you and loves you. John lived in that space. Secondly, calling. After saying who he is and who he isn't, John talks about what God has called him to do. And he says this, in verse 23, I'm a voice for the Lord. I'm here to speak God's words to the people. Secondly, I'm a baptizer. I'm here to baptize people in water for the forgiveness of sins. And thirdly, he says, I am unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals. That's part of his calling and his identity. He's got that. That is who I am. And I think John gives this incredible picture of humility, you know. He has seen how beautiful and valuable Jesus is. He sees Jesus' glory. And he's also seen how sinful and broken he is and how much he needs God's love and forgiveness. And he's accepted that. He's been changed by God's love and grace and forgiveness. And he knows what God has called him to do. And I think that's quite an amazing thing because John can say with the humility and the security that Jesus is greater than I am. He can say, you know what? I've actually been called to a place of influence. I'm a leader, I'm a prophet, I've got crowds following me, I'm baptizing people. God has called me to this. But at the same time, I'm this great man of God, but I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Amazing humility and security in his identity and his call. Who are you? Who are you? Who has God called you to be? What has he called you to do? And are you doing it? 
because our lives are getting busier and busier. There's so many distractions, so much stuff going on. It's so easy for us to fill up our time with good things, good things. People might be saying, you're amazing for doing all those good things, but are you doing the thing that God has called you to do, the one, two, three, four things that God has called you uniquely to do? Because if you don't do them at the end of your life, they will be left undone. Our world will not have received the gift that God put on you to bring. Secondly, are you content in the call that God has got for you to not be recognized or successful or famous? Are you okay to kind of be a nobody in the fact that God has called you to this thing? And what I love is that John was. Two chapters later in John chapter 3, there's this amazing thing going on. This man who said crowds following him, everyone hanging on his every word, people wanting to be baptized by him. You know what happens all of a sudden? Is his disciples disappear. He's kind of on his own. Someone comes and says, do you know that Jesus is baptizing people on the other side of the river? You can imagine him going, Jesus, baptize. I'm John the Baptist. He's Jesus Christ. He's... Why is he doing Jesus Christ and Baptist now? Like he's added that on. Like that's my gig. I do that, you know. And Jesus is doing that now. And you know what John says? He doesn't say, oh, I'm angry. He says, that's absolutely fine. In fact, John's words go like this. John 3.27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John 3 verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John is living for Jesus' fame, not his own. I don't know what you would do in that kind of circumstance. Like if you'd had these crowds and people around you, you were kind of a big deal, famous. People were coming to you, then all of a sudden they go to Jesus. I think some of us would put up a big billboard on the side of the Jordan, you know, lights so at night it glows and it looks beautiful. And we think, you know what I'm going to do is let me put that picture up of me baptizing Jesus so everyone knows that I was the original, you know. I ba- he came to me to be baptized. Put that picture up, beautiful text, beautiful design. You put that billboard up, you think, what can we do to spruce things up to get some more people coming to us to get baptized, you know, Okay. What about like a little water slide into the Jordan? That will get them. Or water cannon. Boo! Choo, dive in, get baptized. Could work. Maybe that'll work. Or like definitely like need to increase our spend on marketing. Brilliant social media blast. Like this great baptism by John campaign. I was thinking, what about like the e-channel? Everyone's watching that these days. Uh, what about the River's Edge with John the Baptist? Like this reality show. Kind of go behind the scenes of my baptism life. I think people could get really into a show like that, you know? I think some of us would think like that. If people stopped following us, we're going to someone else. If things weren't going the way we wanted them to do, we would do more, try harder, be better. And John says, you know what? I can only receive what's given me from heaven. My life is about him increasing and me decreasing anyway, so it's not a deal. And I think for some of us, the question is, is your identity in your calling? Is your identity in the response of people? Or is your identity in God? Because John has got God before him the whole way, and he's just chasing after him. I think maybe one big thing with calling is, have you prayed through this? Have you asked, Lord, what am I called to? Because what we're called to defines our yes for us. The things we say yes are in line with what we're called to. Have you also prayed this because do you know what you are not called to? Because we need to say no to certain things to follow God and the things that he has called us to do. And I think each one of us in this room, if you're following Jesus, needs to work out what the work the Father has given us to do is. And that only comes through time alone with him, asking him to speak and to lead us. And then we need to say no to a whole lot of things to keep in line with the will of God. 
I know some of you hate saying no. No is a violent word. No is like a really um, attacking word, you know. But it's a word that we need to become comfortable with if we're going to actually faithfully follow God and live lives of worship to Him. Now listen, the danger with a message like this is that some of you have already kicked out. You heard me say one or two points and you're like, this is the message I needed today. You've taken your foot off the accelerator, you've instantly put it on the brake, and you're like, I'm going to live a life with limits now. I'm checking out of a lot. And your boss is in for it tomorrow. You're going to go into his office, you're going to sit down in front of him and go, I need to tell you a few things about what I am called to. I need to tell you what my limits are because you've been pushing them, buddy. And all of a sudden you lay down this list of things. It is not going to go well for you if you do that, you know. My heart today is not that all of a sudden you'd say, I'm kicking out of a ton of these things that I'm doing, and I've got the easy life. You know, my Sunday serving team captain, the person I, I set up and packed down with, I'm texting them, not called to this, sorry man, I'm receiving the gift of limits in this area, I'm not serving anymore, you know. Or whatever it might be, we just say, I'm going to take my foot off the accelerator and I'm going to chill. That's not the idea here. Jesus received the limits that he had in his humanity, and at the same time his life was fully submitted to God. So on the night before Jesus died on the cross, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to God, not my will but yours be done. Jesus knows the pain of having the sin of the world poured out on him. He knows the pain of that separation from his reconciliation to God, his relationship with God. He doesn't want to go through that, but he says, Lord, it's actually not my will. Whatever you want for me, I will do. And I want to ask if we could be a community of people that does that, that goes before our Father and says, what are your priorities for my life? What is it that you want me to do? I want to seek first your kingdom. I want to follow you. So I'm willing to lay stuff down. I'm willing to make changes. I'm willing to pick things up. But would you show me what the work that you've given me to do is? And my final thing is just practically, how do we know our limits? And I think some of you here today are like, this is a message for me. Like, I need to work out what my limits are and live in light of this. I think some of us uh, actually need to stretch ourselves a bit to our limits. You know, some of us need to learn to say no to stuff. Some of us need to learn to say yes a bit. You know, some of us never get a chance to lie down on the couch. Some of us are on the couch all of the time. So there's four brief points I want to go through, and then we're going to pray and worship and close. First thing, receiving the gift of limits. Look at your personality. What is the way you're wired like? What kind of person are you? I'm an extrovert. Shell's an introvert, um, which means when I'm sitting at home working all day by myself, I'm climbing up the walls, and I've got crazy eyes when she gets home. I've told you guys that before. I need to be around people, but she needs more space than me. If you're an introvert here today, you probably enjoy being alone. You're recharged by that. You're energized by that or doing tasks on your own. I think that's like a really common way of looking at how personality changes how we spend our time. There's a few others too. Secondly, Look at your season of life. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 1 to 8, says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, and it goes on from there. There's a time for everything. What season of life are you in? Have you thought about that before? Some of you are students here in this room, and I know students work hard. I remember being a student, like reading crazy amounts of... uh, I guess, information, and writing assignments, spending Saturdays just working 
I know there's a few people in this uh, church who've worked all the way through the night to get stuff done. Well done. But you do have a flexibility that probably a lot of us don't have, you know. In that student stage of life, you've got holidays if you're not working. And also between lectures and things, you've got all this time. And then for some of you who've left the studying world and are young professionals, there's this reality that that flexibility goes. All of a sudden, it's like seven or eight till four, five, six, seven working hours. You don't have that flexibility. All of a sudden, Saturdays become days for doing all your chores, all your kind of like life chore stuff. It's such a pain. Some of you are really young. You've got a lot of energy. Some of you are older. That energy level is starting to go down a bit. Some of you in this room have got young kids. I spoke to a friend of mine this week. His uh, daughter is under one year of age. He said she was awake from nine till 12 and then three till six. He was sounding very, very sleepy on the phone. Some of you got kids in different stages of life. Some of you are wrestling with the realities of health. You've got bad health or sickness or some kind of disability. Or maybe someone in your family does, and that knocks on you in a big way. Some of you are feeling flush at the moment. Financially, you are crushing it. Others here are struggling. Maybe you've got very little margin financially or none. Maybe you're actually not sure how you're going to get through this month. Some here are studying and preparing. Some are in an intense work season. Some are in a season of rest. Some are in a season of grief. What season or stage of life are you in? What does that mean for your capacity? And also, we need to think in light of the other people of this church. What stage of life are they in in terms of how we interact with them? Thirdly, look at your emotional, physical, and intellectual capabilities. I want you to picture Grant Newman Clark, age 8, 1994, standing in Kloof outside his parents' house, basketball in hand. He's bouncing and shooting, just practicing, because he honestly has a passion to make it to the NBA. Saturdays, <laughs> he's going inside, SABC2 playing the games. The Chicago Bulls are on. He's so happy, you know, just watching Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. It's like a real treat to be alive at that time. But this reality is, even though my mother told me I would be over six foot tall, <laughs> I'm probably lucky if I'm scraping in at 5'8". Not the most athletic character, and no matter how my dream, how great my dream was to be this professional athlete, it's just never going to happen, guys. Let's just be honest. And some of you in this room need to be realistic about some of your um, lacks or struggles. You know, some of us in this room should get our doctorate. We should study more, get more degrees, whatever. Some of us will never get a degree, and that's so so fine. Some of us in this room have huge capacity for responsibility. You're just like, load more on me. You know, I'm ready. Like, make it harder. I want to be the CEO. I want to be the boss of a big company. I can take it. Some of you don't. One or two things on your to-do list, and it's like overwhelming to you. Some of us here in this room have got huge emotional capacity. You could spend time with people who are struggling for hours, listening with and dealing with their pains and struggles. Others, like five minutes, like you're absolute toast. That's why you never ask people how they are. It's not that you don't care. It's that you just can't handle it, you know? What are your abilities, your struggles, your lacks, your strengths, your weaknesses? And finally... What about our weaknesses in our past? And Shane spoke about this so well two weeks ago. But some of us come from backgrounds where we've struggled with things, with sin, um, with the way we were raised. And actually there's certain things that we need to stay away from now because actually they are areas where we are weak. You know, areas where we are prone to sin or prone to struggle. And other people might be fine doing those things, but just for us, we can't. Also, maybe for some of us, we need to realize when we start to sin or when we become a little bit um, emotional or erratic or our character starts to go, that that's actually a bit of an indicator that something is wrong. We're pushing a bit too hard. We're breaking our own limits. And I'm sharing all of these things today to ask this question, and it's this. 
Are you being faithful to who God has made you to be? Are you worshiping God in the reality of who you are? And Harbor City, for us, I know there's some people here today, you've mastered this. For you, this has been like such a boring preach because you're going, yeah, I've got that. I know who I am. I know what I should say yes to and no to and the difference. I've got this. I know my calling, my identity. You're crushing it. But for others in this room who maybe you feel actually this has been a struggle, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow and change. We can overcome our weaknesses. We can grow to live within our limits. We can find balance and health if we will give our lives to God and welcome him into the deepest plates of our hearts and let him change us and do work inside of us. Can we stand and pray together? Can I ask you to close your eyes if you don't mind doing that? Um, I think it was just something that I'd felt like the Holy Spirit had spoken to me about for today and seemed like as we prayed before the meeting that Catherine and Shell had something similar. I just want to ask if today as I've spoken, you feel like you are bound down, burdened, overwhelmed, heavy, and you need God to set you free. I'd love you to respond to God. If you're happy to raise your hands, you can, or you can do that in prayer in your own way. But if you feel like you need stuff to be lifted off of you because you feel overwhelmed, I'd love you to raise your hands and respond to God. And then for those of us here who today feel like, actually, as I've spoken, you realize that God is wanting to put some stuff on you, then maybe you would respond to him too. Jesus speaks in the Gospels, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think for some, he wants to give us rest today. But he also says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he is calling us to take his burden upon us too. So Lord, I pray for those of us here today who need to respond, who need to actually find a way forward, need to be set free from some of the things that we do or the ways we've been doing things. Would you lift those burdens off of us and set us free, Lord God? Help us to change. Help us to grow in this area. Help us to become healthier, I pray. And I ask at the same time, Lord, that your burden would come upon us, your will, your ways, your call for our life, and that we would find the balance of the healthy life in you, walking with you, full of your spirit, completely in step with you, and doing what you've called us to do. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.